You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. You know, as a kid, I wondered how certain people got certain jobs or got into certain hobbies. I knew a a man when I lived in Australia in 2003 that held the Guinness Book of World Records record for having the most extensive toenail collection. And I just always wondered, what prompts someone to want to get into that? Uh, I knew somebody who was a butcher who cut off his thumb one time. He loved being a butcher. Uh, People often look at me and they're like, dude, you don't really sleep much. And I'm like, yeah, between the podcast, between the day job, between my show with my brother, award-winning producer Ryan Martinez, The Witching Hour, I seem to have uh, my, my foot in a little bit of everything. And it ultimately comes down to this. I do what I love. I really enjoy it. And I have a fun time in the process with my friends. And with opportunities like this show... It gives me the opportunity to meet people and ask questions that I typically would have never had elsewhere, such as today's. As somebody that's a little bit obsessed with celebrating Halloween every day of the year, I know some people might find that a bit, you know, on the the level of, dude, maybe you've got a problem and really, you you take it a bit too far, but come on. There's some things in life that we've got to jump into, such as people who perform and observe and take part in autopsies. I don't know about you, but whether it was CSI or anything else, it's always been one of those things. What makes somebody literally do that? Is that the last job on earth for some people and they just need to pay the bills? Is that something they actually want to go ahead and do? We're going to figure that out today with our special guest, Madeline May, digital nomad, all-around rock star, and you volunteer with... Okay, you, you gotta explain this to me, Madeline. You volunteer to take part in autopsies, or you just sit in the back with some popcorn and watch? How, how does this work? Basically, I do extensive job shadows. I can't even say it's volunteer work because there's nothing nonprofit or really helping the living about it. But I follow along with the guy who does these across the state, and I get to go when he's in my area. He calls me, says, Hey, I'm in the area. You wanna come meet me? Sure, absolutely. And I have seen just about everything. I've seen burn victims, overdoses, people who had complications from surgery, just all kinds of accidents in the workplace. You know, OSHA exists for a reason. I have seen exactly why OSHA exists. This is a this is an audio show, but she's smiling right now. I, yeah, so just like you said, Gosh. how you have such an interest in Halloween, and people like the taboo in life. Whether they admit it or not, they might think it's gross, but you're right for the same reason they like CSI or forensic files, any of these, I'm the same way. And what is funny is you can see me, they can't. I wear pink all the time. I always do my hair and makeup. Like I'm very girly. You don't look at me and think, oh my God, she's she loves morbid things or she likes Halloween. It doesn't it doesn't match up when you meet me in person. I'm 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 very judgy. And before we were doing the call, I was thinking, oh, she's gonna be full goth. Those are the only people in this. <laughs> So when the camera comes on and I'm like, okay, what the fuck? Okay. <laughs> so, Total so, opposite. So, so, so you got to tell me, t- tell us a little bit more about yourself. You know, how did, how did this start? Because, you know, some people do fishing on the weekends. Some people take up comedy. This is the first time I've heard that somebody actually takes an extensive interest in this. Yeah. And I spend my free time going to autopsies. Well, My dad was a detective with the state police. So all through my childhood, every night at dinner, he comes home and it's, you want to see some pictures of a guy who got his ass beat at prison today? Absolutely. Absolutely. I do. So he kind of instilled that in me, but I, I was on a track kind of like you. I wanted to do entertainment. People thought I was great at radio, at TV. I went to school for that. I got my master's in communications, but I always was interested in this. Nobody ever told me people get careers in death. They don't do these things. And I even look back at my childhood, and I just remembered the other day, in second grade, one of my elementary school teachers 
came up to me about a project we were doing and she very seriously goes, Madeline, you're not allowed to research mummies again. And I'm like thinking back to my childhood. I'm like, these things were present. Well, mummies are so cool. They are, right? What did and you do to traumatize the others? Because I always did mummies. I always oh. chose mummies as a topic. So I, these things were happening when I was a kid, but nobody was telling me you could make a career out of it. So just this semester, this fall, I have started a class. I have my master's from the University of South Florida. I'm going to my local community college. I'm taking a mortuary class this semester because I really enjoy it. It's not really possible for me to go back to school at this point to do much else with autopsies, but I could definitely do something else with mortuary. So I am actually in school for it right now. I have a little bit of uh, credit on my side, some credibility here. What, um, how do, how do you get, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the way to ask. Like, so how do I get involved? With yeah. It? How do you get involved? Do you just show up to, to a morgue and say, Hey, Let's, well, uh, I did let's have, team up on something. Right. That seems like going to do it. And you know what? It kind of is. It's about networking. Um, because my dad was a state police officer, a detective, he was able to get me in touch with the guy who does all of the autopsies for the prison because all inmates have to have an autopsy. So he got me in touch with the guy. And technically, and depending on what state you are in, autopsies are supposed to be public. Whether they will let you in because they don't want it to be a spectacle. They want it to be private and respect the decedent, but technically in, in many states, they are considered an open opportunity for people to see it, but you've got to find the right people and you've pretty much got to have a legitimate reason. You're a student, you are doing a job shadow. You've got to have a reason mm-hmm. to be there. So I went uh, to one of them and that pathologist just liked me enough. He's like, yeah, if you want to keep doing some things or learn more about it, then I, you're welcome to stick around. So that's how I got in touch. But my best friend, Sophie, is a great example. I actually met her at an autopsy. What a way to bond. I met this girl over a body. And she was a criminal That's the title of your next book. <laughs> yes. What a great one. We met over a body. Um, yes. But she was a criminal justice major at Purdue University. So she was just looking for a good job shadow. And she found him through um, a series of professors and stuff. So we've all kind of had this like direct connection. It's really hard for somebody off the street who just likes forensic files to go try to get involved with this. That's not really the case. Um, We have very, very good connections. So I got to tell you, um, I I do a show called The Witching Hour where my brother and I and our film crew, we basically lock ourselves in haunted places. And I've been – or supposedly haunted places because some of them just aren't sometimes. Uh, I've been in – you know, townhouses that are just completely covered with black mold where people say they hear voices. I've been in places where you've had murder, rape, and suicide, battlefields, insane asylums. None of that stuff has ever really like bothered me. I could be in a room where they could say, you know, his brains are splattered everywhere and you could still see remnants of blood on the ceiling. I think that's cool. I will say that the boundary for me has always been what if I see a dead body or something? And when I was younger, uh, my father and I showed up at the scene of a car accident before an ambulance got there and we saw a pretty horrific, horrific death in front of us. So it's always just been one of those things where it's like when I think about it, I I just get physically repulsed. And I know that's how it is for a lot of folks. I, I, I know. Yeah, uh, it some, should be. Technically, I, like biology states, we should be petrified of death, right? Because it could be our own impending death. So do, do you feel be. that? Do you feel that? Not at all. Um, and <laughs> things I used to be scared by, I'm no longer, once you've seen real people who are dead, you watch movies, you're just not scared of things like you once were. But I was just like you. I do feel like people have to see somebody deceased in front of them for them to know how they will respond. Because I've always loved horror, always been into this. But even preparing to go to my first autopsy, I was Googling, like, what do medical students when they do when they have their first cadaver lab? Because I've heard of some of them barfing, passing out. Like, they can't, they can't take it. They don't want to be around the deceased person and hack them up and, you know. So I was expecting the worst. I go, I can throw up inside a mask and walk back out. But actually, I was totally fine. He was like down up. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best day of my life. And I think my heart grew two sizes. I was on a high for three days. I loved it. It was amazing. I mean, it is amazing to look inside of the human body. It's a very unique perspective. And I am very fortunate that I even got to do it one time, let alone multiple times now. So, no, I am 
takes a lot to scare me. You pretty much cannot scare me. I'm about the spookiest lady you'll ever meet. Even though I look, I look like a little girl. I've got all my pink and my little blonde hair, but it is not like that. <laughs> it is a. Uh, it, it, it's it's one of those things that I feel. So so okay. In 2017, I went to Las Vegas, and they've got that Human Bodies Museum. Yes, I was actually just in Vegas two months ago. Okay, mm-hmm. did did you go there? It was closed because of COVID. Oh I have heard of it. I've wanted to go, and now I'm like, I don't know if I would go just because I've seen all of those things. They're just our dead people aren't posed like theirs. <laughs> what what's what's crazy about it is going there like there's no there's no glass to prevent you from getting really close. I mean, you can get so close to those things, you could see like little hair follicles still sticking out from them in some areas. And what what just really bothered me throughout it and I mean, it was amazing. Like you will never see the human body the same way again, folks, if you've never been there. But the the crazy thing for me is that, you know, and and maybe maybe it's like a spiritual side of me. I believe in afterlife and things like that. But, um, you know, with with science, I think we should be able to understand as much about ourselves as possible, especially since all those people who who had their bodies donated to that museum, they all did so willingly. So that was their last contribution to the world, basically. So in a way, it's not as personal. But, I mean, there's just something about seeing a body, even when it's posed like that, or even if it's on a slab, there's something about it which has always just kind of inherently bothered me. And maybe you can, you know, shine some light on this, because for for me, looking at it, it's, it's different than when I see it in the movie, because I'm a big action movie buff, you know, dead bodies flying around. I want to see more gore and violence. It's just... I want to see it. But, you know, after seeing that experience and everything, it's like, you know, these people had lives. They had ambitions. They, they were loved by somebody. They, they had experiences and now they're, they're propped up in a museum or something. Uh, What, what, what's it like when you see these people? Have you ever had one of those moments where you look at them and it's like, I, I wonder what lives they lived that led them to being here. That is interesting that you say that because I recently had that feeling. Mostly I don't. I feel mostly detached that you look at these people and you can tell there's not a soul in the body. I, I feel I, like I feel like you have to be detached though. Yeah, you it's not it's not work you want to take home with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you really you look at them and it's not have you ever been to a funeral? Yeah. It's possible you haven't. So okay. When they're laying there, they're adults. I've, they I've been nice. to yeah, I've been I've been to a funeral with an open casket, and I went to one where where they're uh, where, where they were cremated. And honestly, what bothers me more are the cremations. I always thought I wanted to be cremated, but there's something about being in a bottle that just does not sit well with me anymore. After seeing, I don't know why. I have Low-cross, no logical claustrophobic. answer. Yes. yes, no, like I <laughs> yeah. see that, and it's like, where's the body? Where's the body? And I know where the body is. But I'm looking at this. I'm like, where's the fucking body? So to answer your question, then, since you have been to a funeral, you look at them and they're dolled up. The funeral director has done a great job. Usually they do their makeup, their hair, they're wearing clothes. When I see them, you literally look your worst. You may not have showered for days, especially if you had a drug overdose. Your hair is crazy. You, you know, you just don't look great typically when you die. And I can see like that your soul is not in your body anymore. So I don't feel very conflicted about like looking at them as a person, although the other day I was at one and I looked at this lady, like looked her right in the face and thought about how I am doing this mortuary degree now. And I'm like, you know what? I could do a really good job on this lady. I could wash her hair and comb her hair and really put some life back into her. And I had that moment of like, this is a person and I could bring her back to life essentially for her family to see her before she gets put away forever. However, she decides to do that. So only a few times have I really, really looked at them and been like, wow, what were they like? But in general, when you start cutting them open, I don't, I don't think you want to overly think about them on an emotional level. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel that if you're going to do that, you're not going to last. Maybe not. And maybe, I don't know. It depends. And I, actually, I'm surprised you haven't even asked me this yet. I've never seen anything in the rooms that would make me feel like there's like a ghost Okay. Yeah. No. I I I wanted to get to that eventually. I like my my thing is I I'm very very superstitious, and you know I'm I'm I'm, I also come from a Puerto Rican Catholic family, 
So, you know, the super, yeah, you are superstitious, very (laughs) superstitious. Um, do, do you, do you believe in ghosts? Maybe before this whole autopsy thing, I would have said it's possible ghosts are real. Now I really don't believe in ghosts for a few reasons. One being I've seen 35, 40 deceased people now, and I have never seen any ghosts, never seen anything that leads me to believe that there's some lingering spirit. Like you would think of anybody, it'd be the people who see them the most that would like have come across them at some point, more opportunity. But I actually live, this is really crazy. I live on top of an Indian mound. My house is- What the hell? I don't know why in the 70s that You chose that? uh, I mean- Did you know that before you moved in? (laughs) Oh yes, absolutely. Because there's three in the area and we're the only house that sits on one. I don't know why this was okay in the 70s. You think they would be protected, but let's just double down. I also live right next to a cemetery. So I, I jokingly call myself and my dog, we're the crypt keepers and we go walk the cemetery and make sure everything's okay. We greet our new neighbors when we get them. <laughs> so wow. I, between all three of these things, all of these opportunities to see some ghosts or to see anything, I have yet to have anything happen. I have one photo that we took in the cemetery. That's a pretty creepy photo that we all joke as a ghost. It's probably just the fire reflection, but it's a pretty good it's a pretty good picture. So if people want a little bit of a horror story when they come to my house, because they know when they come here, it's like, we call it Spooky House. That's the name of the house, a Spooky House. Um, they, they want a good story. So, you know, I'll, I'll throw out that picture. But I, I have never seen anything. It, it, in a way, like especially with, with you having to go and see these bodies, like it, in many ways, like there, there are two angles I could take from it. Either it's because none of it exists and I just have an over-exaggerative imagination. Or it's one of those things where it's like, you know, once you die, maybe for at least those people, that was final. And they go off wherever and they're not lingering around. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious. Your, your first couple bodies, what were those experiences like? Who, who were you kind of dealing with and what were the situations revolving around their death? Oh, are you ready to be very disgusted? I am, um, so, I, I am <laughs> so emotionally prepared for this right now. So I will not give you any identifying information or anything that anybody could even figure this out. Um, my first one, like I said, I went in there and I was just so excited to see him. He was an inmate. Um, so he was, he was a little rough and tough looking, probably like a stereotypical white male inmate that you might expect to see. Um, lots of tats and stuff. So that was, that was a cool one because I also grew up with my dad doing things in the prison system all the time. So I'm very used to inmates in general. And I saw him, you know, I was so excited. It was my first one. I didn't know what to expect. I was like, what's he going to smell like? What's he going to look like? God, it's like I you're preparing for a date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly he had tattoos. <laughs> and I was just wondering what he would be like. Is it going to match his, his eHarmony for, profile? Wow. You, you know what? I might steal that from you. I might have to tell people, you know, it's Take like, it. like preparing for a date. But my second, so he was very normal. It was a very, very like, there wasn't anything strange about his autopsy. It was just kind of a routine because he died in prison. But my second one was a burn victim. And my dad had always prepared me. I mean, I don't want to, this is going to gross you out. My dad had always prepared me because he had been a state trooper and had had many car accidents where people were burned in the car accident. And they smell like... Like when you cook chicken, when you barbecue chicken with the skin on, that's what my dad always said that they smell like. He could never eat that when I was growing up as a kid because it would like make him barf. He would like tear up. He'd be like, it smells like these people. And I just, that always stuck with me when he told me as a kid. So then I go to my first burn victim and I am thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to be so sad. This is going to be terrible. And actually this is so gross. I open the, I open the bag and I like look in at the guy and it smells, I mean, he's not wrong. It smells like chicken, but it almost smells like, like teriyaki beef jerky or something. Like it's, it's like a hog roast. It's like if you went to a hog roast. So I hate to say it, but it almost smells kind of good off the bat because it, I mean, just, we're just animals, right? You're just, we're, it's like a cooked animal. It's literally the same thing. And so it kind of smelled good. So I remember calling my dad from the autopsy. He goes, dad, it, it really didn't like stink. It didn't have a smell where I was like, man, this is putrid or anything. And I was like gloating a little bit. I was like, you're, you're a weenie. Like, I can't believe you can't put up with that. And then that night I went to our local casino and they were having like jerk chicken night. And when I walked up the steps, I almost threw up all over myself because I got a whiff of that. And it took me like back to that room 
And while it didn't smell bad at the time, to think about it later really is like kind of terrifying. And that is, that's about the only thing that really affects me is the smell when I leave. And I was smelling him and I almost threw up all over myself and I could not eat barbecue for like four months. I can now, I can finally do it, but man, it is identical. I, 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 oh my gosh. The the first time I smelled a dead body, it was a, it was a dead deer that had been decomposing. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. Oh, that's where the line is. Well, decomp is the nastiest. Like you pretty much smelled the worst thing. Yeah, like with 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 the guy with the guy uh, when I oh god I was fourteen I was fourteen and the 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 guy at the car accident I, I like mentally blocked this out for a while oh no we're resurrecting oh. horrible things yeah no it, it gets it gets real be be real with me folks um the that's my dog um anyway his his uh his airbags did not go off properly. So as he went off the road and part of his car hit the tree, the, the, the vehicle was full. The two folks in the back were in pretty were, – were, were knocked out, but they weren't in like super critical condition. The guy in the front passenger seat, uh, he was in critical condition, but the driver was dead because what ended up happening was the airbag did not deploy properly. And I don't think he was wearing a seatbelt because even if he did, it didn't prevent what happened. His, his steering wheel caved into his chest. Oh, it was just one of those things where it's like you look at it and it's like this is a this is a human body. And right now I'm watching something out of like Final Destination. Um, what 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 have been some of the oddest deceased people that you've seen other than the burn victim? This like have there ever been some moments where you're like, this isn't real. This can't um. happen to a person. This one's only hard for me to talk about because I don't want it to get too identifiable. Unfortunately, skirt, most skirt of them, around as many edges as you have to. It's, it's I would good. say anything OSHA like workplace. Like I'm going to try to be as vague as I can about this one, but I've seen a guy who literally just got bopped on the head by something at work, and it totally crushed his skull. Like instant, instant death. Yeah, just something fell on his head at work. And so they have to do, and I asked, I was like, why are we even doing an autopsy? Everybody saw this happen. And because of OSHA and insurance requirements, they need to have an official autopsy to report about on it. So just, it's like little accidents like that. Unfortunately, we get a ton of things that are just drug overdoses and they really don't have anything too special or different about each of them. And actually it costs the counties a ton of money to always be doing autopsies for people who have drug overdoses. It would be nice if they could find a way to maybe just do toxicology and some things like that. What makes it, what makes it different? So this is where I really have no clue how it works. Is there like, are there different, are there different procedures and different costs applied depending on the death? No, pretty much every autopsy is done exactly the same. And these are more specifics that are probably better for the pathologist or even a coroner um, to answer. But for the most part, they're, they're about the same. Now, the only difference that I've seen, either they do a full autopsy or a partial autopsy. And the full would include if you open the head. But sometimes if somebody has passed away and you just open their chest first and you see immediately that they had a heart attack or they had like a very evident, okay, this is what killed them. You don't always have to go ahead and open the head to why desecrate the body further if you don't have to. So that's the only instance I've seen where they may not do a full autism, but they pretty much are all the same, whether you were a drug overdose or you're the guy who got bopped on the head, you all have the same autopsy done. What, what, what does a person who had a heart attack look like? So I'm trying to think if I've even seen a heart attack or I've seen a heart attack associated with something else. I know I've seen a heart attack. I can't tell you what I remember it looking like, but the blood will pool and it gets dark and like kind of clotty in different areas. I can, t- the, here's a cool like, one Like for in you. or out of the body? No, inside of the body. So okay. like you could pull the heart out and if something happened in the heart, like a heart attack and there's a bleed or anything, you'll see a bunch of blood congregated there that normally when you do an autopsy, you may not see that. But this was the coolest one. I, I saw a brain aneurysm and brain aneurysm. I, I got, I got, I got to tell you up front. That oh, yeah. is my that is my biggest fear in life. I, I, Just I've a sporadic had, brain aneurysm. It's it's how my grandmother died. 
Oh, I don't I have, have to tell you what this looks like if you don't. It's not. It's really not that gruesome, though. I, 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 I will be. I will be full on honest with you. I have been so horrified by that being a possibility. I've avoided learning about it as much as possible. And I, I had traumatic brain injury, and I deal with chronic migraines and dementia runs in my family. Whoa. So, honestly, very few things actually scare me in life, but aneurysms are. So I'm hoping, and I'm dead serious right now. Let's walk through this together. Wow, <laughs> gonna okay, do it. Break. We might. We might as well record it. We you know what? Well. I think you're going to be surprised when you hear this because it sounds a lot more gentle than what I pictured it would be. So we, they, they, I'm not doing this. Okay. They will remove this skull cap and then you pretty much, you see the brain there. But I knew when this person had the internet, you could see it immediately. So they pulled it off and there's blood pooling all over the outside. It's like dark blood on the outside of the brain. So you know it's been sitting there. Like blood should not collect in the brain like that during death or what during your life or when you're dead. So it's dark all over. And they're like, Yeah, this was a brain aneurysm because he had a brain bleed then. So we pull the brain out and we wash it off, like literally take it to the sink and just rinse it off so we can see it from all the blood. And it is a little tiny like pinprick in the brain. That is all it is. It looks like a very, very, very tiny puncture. And that's it. That's all that it was. And I was thinking, oh my God, this is what kills people. Like it's barely, you barely can even see that there is something there. I was so surprised. It's one of my most shocking ones that I've seen. I, I know this is totally not true, but the image always that was in my head. Have you ever seen that movie Scanners? No. It's it's an old eighties B rated sci fi movie where these people can blow up each other's minds. So you've got like this one news anchor man, he's like reading the the weather and something next you know, like in each time their heads blow up, it's like in slow motion. So it's like and over in Compton today, we're going to see hum- humidity up to the levels of it's just his head just blows up and I know that's not how obviously I know that's not how aneurysms go down. But that's always been in the back of my head. So here it's that to, to here it's that small. And I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I've never Googled it. I've never looked at so much as in a textbook. I've been that abnormally afraid of it. To to a certain degree, that makes me feel better. And then another way, it's almost like it doesn't take much to do it. No, it doesn't. That whole blowing up the headset. Yeah, it's so excessive. You you barely need anything going on in there. I don't know if I should feel better or worse. I think I, I personally think I'd feel better. I had a friend whose mom had an aneurysm when I was a kid and she, she survived. She was very fortunate to survive it. And so same thing. I really didn't know what that was or what that looked like, but I saw how it affected her life. And then for me to see it in person, I was like, wow, it seems like such a small kind of innocent little injury. Like I not, not, not to get political at all, but I know that Joe Biden has had multiple aneurysms in his life. He's had aneurysms? He's had aneurysms and he survived. He had one in the mid-90s and then the early 2000s. Wow. And then he had surgery He had surgery for one right before 2008. So like six months ago when he was on CNN and his eye started filling up with blood, like I knew that history. So I'm watching this. I'm like, is he about to die on TV? And just things like that, like things like that, I think – it's it's one of these really crazy things about life, and I think it's why I'm so ob- not obsessed with death, but I'm so obsessed with understanding our, our human condition because it doesn't – this is going to sound terrible. We're very easy to kill, and we actually die very easily. W- would you agree with that? It, it doesn't seem like it takes very much. Yeah, like we could die of anything. We're pretty fragile, but then I'll see like – I, I mean, I love, I love children. I love living children. Not, <laughs> I love living children a lot. And I look at them and the things I've done with them, I'm like, you kids are resilient. Like you bounce back from anything. So it's, I see both. I feel like we're very fragile and something falling on that guy's head at work killed him. Boom. He didn't know he would go to work that day and that that would happen to him. So yes, I, in a way, I feel like we're very fragile. It doesn't take a lot to knock us out. But then I feel like, look at the things we do survive. Incredible things, incredible stories of survival. So it's both. What were what were some of the moments as you've been going through this that have confused you? Like you you walked in, you saw something, and you immediately thought, "I have I have no clue what I'm what I'm looking at, and I have no clue what I'm what I'm gonna have to do with this person." So I 
<laughs> there's just little things. I'm pretty good at pointing stuff out to the pathologist and just being like, why is it like this? Like, I don't think that's normal. And he'll be like, yeah, that's not normal. Like, I'm not educated on this, but now I've seen enough. I can go, that's not what the last guy looked like. But I'll see like bloated intestines or whatever. And, and that can happen for a variety of reasons. But I just think about like, when I'm bloated, is that what I look like? Are my intestines literally like little balloons? So sometimes I just look at things and I think, oh, that must be what my body looks like. Um, other confusing things. Sometimes you just see a little bit of abnormalities or something that the person probably never knew it in their life. Like the other day, they had a kidney that I think it's called a horseshoe kidney. I'm not sure that could be wrong. Sorry, everybody. But it basically is when your kidneys are connected and they're kind of in like a little, like a horseshoe kind of shape. Like like, like a loop? Yeah, which you, uh, but not, I don't think it's connected to the bottom. I didn't get to see it, but they were telling me about it. And that's a rare thing, but that person would have never known in life. So sometimes you have little quirky things. I think the thing that makes me frustrated is like as kids, we had all these, don't do drugs, don't smoke, don't do some of these bad things for you. And Pretty much everybody who smokes, you can immediately tell. You open them up and their lungs are black. They, it's, so, it's so obvious how hard people are in their bodies. I didn't have to know you in life for when we open you up. Your liver looks terrible because you are an alcoholic. Your lungs look awful. You're so unhealthy. You can just tell. Like when they, when they tell you don't smoke and don't do these things and they're bad for you and you, you do them, like let me just – I wish people could see what the inside of their body actually looks like because it is gross. And the, they, they don't smell as good. Oh, I mean the, the human body is just one of those things that like we, we know so much about now but we still know so little about it. And I mean my – what really changed my outlook on a lot of things was trying to understand brain trauma. I, I, don't, I don't get into it too much on on the show or in my writing because it's still a very personal topic for me but you know in, in understanding things like concussions like I, I did a lot of research to understand uh you know traumatic brain injuries and stuff like that and like the human brain is just a weird thing it's a it's a muscle that i'm sorry it's not a muscle but it's it's a thing that never repairs so any small damage you do it doesn't just like heal it's there forever that's why for you know I, I talk to a lot of doctors about this. They're like, listen, man, looking at a concussion is like looking at a brand new concussion for the first time ever. You have no clue what it's going to be like. You have no clue what it's going to do to your brain. And we know extremely little about it, even with the advances in understanding TBIs that we know now. And, and in a way, that's extremely scary. So like I do a lot to try and take care of like my 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 brain health and everything, my sleep, my stress. I'm not great at it, but I try and, you know, I've got to I've got to deal with that a lot. So when I see people who, you know, are chronic smokers and they're surprised about their lungs or, you know, they're alcoholics and they're surprised why they have ulcers and things like that. It's not that I don't have pity for them, but it's like we've got some pretty definitive answers on what's happening. And my pathologist will even, I remember he told me this, like my second weekend, he's like, you know what the, the four worst things are for you? And unfortunately, I can only remember the top three, but it's <laughs> it, basically in this order is tobacco, which is not surprising, right? We all know tobacco is bad, alcohol and fatty foods. So the, the combination of these three things, like what do we do in the United States? Well, we have a drink, we want to have a smoke with our drink, and then we're hungry, so we're eating food with that. Like we do all three of these things and they're all pretty bad for us. So, you know, it does, it has shown me I need to like live a healthier life and I'm not much of a drinker and I don't smoke. So that helps a lot, but I look at them and I go, man, I just need to treat my body better because it is the only one that I have. So to kind of go a little bit in a darker direction, this wasn't dark already. Where? where oh, this, this, this is about. This is what I wanted to say for like the perfect moment. I'm like, oh, this is this is getting to the point where we're helping people and they're learning. The more you know, if somebody was murdered, do they tell you? Do they tell you who does who tell us? Do you know if somebody was murdered or not? I like, don't think what, I've do, ever do had. They, a case. Do they disclose that or not? Okay, you know what I can. So it depends. I don't know if you're thinking like the like. This is where you're thinking very okay, so, files, CSI. Okay, so so like so like a buddy cop film. They pull the cops into the morgue. They're like, "This yes. stiff got hit by a car in a in a in a you know in a in a hit and run." Or this guy was stabbed thirteen times by his cellmate. That type of thing. Are they got yes. they gonna tell you that? Yes. Um, so it's not always like 
if they're murdered, it's a bad, not the best way to put it only because you could have other things happen that you have the police there. So yeah, it's, it's common that the police will be in there too for a variety of things. Um, we've had babies who have passed away and that's pretty much, there's pretty much always people who come in with those. As far as I've seen any, anytime we've had a baby, people have come in with them, whether it's the cops, the coroner, somebody, and they will, they'll give you the circumstance and be like, well, they were co-sleeping and um, mom went back in there into her room and saw that there was a pillow over the baby's face. But our pathologist will tell you in those cases, it is very hard to tell with babies um, if somebody has killed them or not. I don't, I don't want to be giving people ideas or anything here, but he's like, it's just so easy for a baby to suffocate and for these, these things to happen that it'd be really hard to prove if, if a baby was killed, if it just happened to die. So there are instances if, if, things that happen and they're unsure of other people's involvement, neglect, anything like that, that we do see the police in there. It's not uncommon to see the police inside the morgue. This is a, okay, this is, I'm, I'm glad I have you here because I always thought that I'd end up like on a list or something if I Googled this. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm dead. People tell si- me I'm, I'm on a list all the time. Did like, Madeline, you're a pageant girl and you're probably on a list somewhere. <laughs> I am dead freaking serious when i ask this and i feel like what 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 i love about conversations like this is i can ask the questions that people have always been curious about but they don't want to google i think i think that's how insecure we feel about certain things when somebody dies is it true that if they're left unattended they defecate themselves oh i don't know if it's about being left unattended it's i've definitely had people who have defecated themselves i have personally scooped poop out of people's underwear um i don't know that it is anything that has to you're be. getting paid for that right so your body relaxes when you die so sometimes with that relaxation i do think you just release it i know my dad had told me when he's had people in car accidents it literally just like the the force and the trauma and they like he always would say they like kind of poop themselves so yeah it can definitely happen that you defecate when you die I don't know for what all reasons, but I think your body really does relax then. So it could just be the relaxation. Your muscles aren't like clenched in there anymore. So yeah, I've, I've scooped poop out of a few people's pants. <laughs> You're getting paid for that, right? Oh no. I just go for fun. I'm like, it's, it, that's my ticket in. I go. But you could draw a line at the poop. Like you could just I say, think, I, I, oh, absolutely. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. Absolutely. But I am a natural caretaker in life. Like I, I love caring for others and I love kids and I love all these things. So whenever I go and I help them out when I can, and there is a girl who does this full time, exactly the things I kind of help out with. She does it full time as her job and she's called a clean autopsy tech. And so she might do some of those things or whatever. She does paperwork. So I'm like, if I'm here, I'm going to help you guys out. Like it's very nice that they allow me to come along and learn as much as I do. So in return, I do some of these things for them. And I'm really like it, it really takes a lot to gross me out. You cannot hardly gross me out. Have you ever seen a, a decomposed body? Yes, that is the worst. That is the worst. What, what's what's that like? It smells like. Well, what's the difference between that and like you know teriyaki chicken? Um, because the teriyaki chicken guy, well, he was fresh, and I don't want to. I don't want to totally disrespect him. I, I think it's nice that he smelled good. I would rather smell like that than decomposition. But he he was recently deceased. Um, but the it's not a pungent smell. That's a smell that's literally like if you're cooking food. The smell that's really bad is decomposition. Just like if you go in your fridge and you have something old and you go to smell and they're like, oh, that doesn't smell good. Like I know to stay away from that. I think it's the same biological response. You're yeah, like, that, that, that kind of hits you. Yeah. And so it's the same thing. If you're walking around the city and you get a whiff of sewage, that's what um, a body smells like. Actually, you can see... I have an episode on YouTube called Abracadaver with my friend Sophie and we answer some of those kind of questions. And she even mentions, she's like, I had a can of tuna the other day that was expired and it smelled like a body and I ate it anyway. (laughs) That's what she said about her tuna. So we get little whiffs. We joke, we'll be like, I was somewhere the other day and I got a whiff of this thing and it smelled just like that guy I saw the other day. So I call them the stinkers. They're my stinkers. Um, they don't smell great. And there are interesting things that happen to the body when they start to get like that. The body's bloat. The gas starts to rise to the surface. So we'll just assume that they died on their back and they've been laying on their back. So that the gases are going to rise 
upwards towards the ceiling. So their bellies bloat, their lips bloat, their every, everything bloats and comes up. How, how do you prepare a body for a funeral if they're like that? Like uh, I, 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 I so would that's ima- what I'm learning. That's what I'm learning now. That's what oh, I'm going wow. to go. I'm going to school for that kind of thing. But I, I, I guess sometimes it's probably salvageable. Sometimes it's probably not, but they do really pop like a balloon. Like it, not from the outside. You you cut them open like normal, but their organs on the inside are what's really bloated with gas. So you can you can kind of pop them, and like the gas has to then escape. So it is not pleasant. We do a lot of Vicks vapor rub under the nose that helps with the smell. But then I leave, and my hair smells like them. My clothes smell like them. I go home. My dog is freaking out, so I have to leave my clothes in the garage. Just put them right in the washing machine. <laughs> Have you have you ever watched The Walking Dead? Oh yes, yeah. Okay, you remember the first like three seasons. Probably. Okay, so so there's so you'll you'll see this one. Do you remember when they're on Herschel's farm in season two and they're trying to get well water? So they go over to the well and they see the zombie at the bottom who has just become so bloated they can't get they they can't do anything unless they pull him out of there. Oh, that's so gross that he would he would reek. Yeah. I mean, he would be the stinkiest of all the zombies. It's it's those things where plus it's if there's like, water in the well and he's been exposed to the water, that really makes the decomposition. Yeah, he's he's gross. That's a gross zombie. Yeah, like how 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 big can people get? Like I saw that and I'm like, okay, this shows like obviously you know suspend belief zombies, but it's like that was one of those moments where it's like you know we're we're like was it like ninety percent water or something like that? Yeah. Like, like there's, there's like, there's gotta be something with us that makes us get to that way. Um, is it it possible to become the giant gross zombie? I, that's a, that's a good question for somebody who's more scientifically involved with this, but you're only going to get so big before what you pop or something, or you just go back down then. And because eventually the gas is released somewhere, like when you see roadkill and you sometimes see the roadkill all puffed up and it's like, oh, that raccoon's been there a while because he is like a bowling ball. But then the next day you see him and he's totally flat. So either a car ran over him or like he got as big as he possibly could and then something happened. I don't know what happened. I, I've seen people to the point where they're pretty bursting. Like you can only get as big as your body can technically allow. So your lips as... Everything's got to pop at some point. As swollen as your lips could possibly get, that's peak of how much you're going to swell. I mean, it's really odd. I've seen the swelling in the face. I understand the abdomen because you're gaseous. You have your stomach juices and, and things, but I don't know why people swell so bad sometimes in their face. This is, you better put a trigger in their, warning in their in face. Yeah. Yeah. What happens to their face? Just the same way that everything, uh, the gas collects and their like lips puff up and their, the things just puff up. And, but I would, I would think that, you know, other areas would be more bleh. Yeah, I, the smell. Pretty much anything, even the genitalia can do that. Sometimes people are like, "Oh, you know, when you die, or what you like, like the like the whole when you die, you shit yourself thing has always been the thing where it's like, oh, how long until that happens, and how bad are we talking? I I don't think that's maybe as common. It could be, it, but then again, Hollywood has ruined me. <laughs> and you know what I think it ruins a lot of people I think they have this idea of what all this stuff is and it's not quite like that like here's the biggest difference between Hollywood and what I thought when I went into the autopsy I thought it was gonna have you seen the autopsy of Jane Doe yes okay so that's on Netflix if nobody has seen it before the autopsy of Jane Doe it is not it starts out kind of accurate like when they're doing the Y incision and some of these other things that is pretty much what's going on in the autopsy the part that's very different that I think people really have this like fantasy idea of what this is, is they're standing in the autopsy room and they've got like a board out and they're writing things on the board and they're talking about the body and blah. That is not going on. These are not hour long, day long things. These take maybe 30 minutes. That's it. They're very wow. short. They're very quick. They're very efficient. It is not like in the movies where you see them like, Oh, but then this, and then we see this like, Nope. They open up and they go, Oh, heart attack close them up. Bye. That's it. It is so quick. So quick. Nobody's wasting time doing all these like very dramatic show the viewer things. Got it. So, so I've got a few more questions to just try and eliminate my, what movies have done to destroy my actual understanding of this. Uh, there, there was a Netflix series recently, the haunting of Hill house. 
Oh my god, I love it! I actually wrote like, I a whole paper it. about Bly Manor. Bly, I'm I'm almost done with that, so we're we're not going to talk about Bly Manor because I'm still watching it. But Haunting a Hill House. What bothered me is that for for and I could be wrong, but I I remember watching this. I'm like, that makes no sense. For each time somebody died, their eyes would roll back, would like roll to the back of their head. And I've never seen that anywhere else. But it seemed like everyone who died in that show, their eyes rolled to the back of their head. And I just thought this also really bothers me because one of the main, um, one of the main characters is a mortician. So I'm like, obviously, if they spent so much time on that, there has to be a reason on that. Do you often see eyes roll to the back of people's heads? No, I think that that's probably just their scare factor. Because even in Bly Manor, you'll see that th- their ghosts don't have eyes at all. Yeah. So. I think that's just part of their branding and that whole thing because actually, well, I know we can see your, your eyes because the decedent's eyes, I should stop, not use you. That's going to freak you out. You're going to think about that later. Um, when they're laying there, that's one of the first things that they do is they open the eyelids to check the eye color. And then we withdraw fluid from the eyes. That's like the very first thing. Whoa, 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 whoa. What fluid are you talking about? It's, I'm not sure if you pronounce it intravenous or intravenous. It's probably intravenous. But it's this fluid in your eyes, and they, they take a syringe. We take three fluids from the body out of your eyes, your urine, and your blood, of course. But the, the eye thing, I was not prepared for. That is the one thing that still – I don't like things touching eyes. So that's the one I don't want to have a lot to do. I, I never wanted contact lenses because I didn't want to have to put something on my eye. I still barely, rarely wear the prescription glasses I'm supposed to wear, but like I, I would never do that. So when you said you have to take fluid out of the eye, like what what are we talking about? Like a like a needle? Yes. Yeah, so you- it's please put a trigger warning on this. People are going to be so grossed out. No, they 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 need they need to they need to encounter <laughs> some things. Um, it's a pretty large looking needle, and it's done real quick. They just pull fluid right out of the eyes and then put it in the syringe and send it off. What what color is it? It's kind of a it's clearish with a little bit of yellow tint. It's not a very dark fluid. And I'm not sure, like I'm not positive what it's for. I've asked a few times and I can never remember why exactly. It's not like what that. it's not like what like lubricates our eyes, like people who get dry red eyes so. or something like that. It's, it's not, not tears. That. I don't think they're taking so tears. Well, don't tears just okay, this is gonna sound so stupid. Okay, I'm gonna ask it anyway. What happens to tear ducts? They probably just shrivel up and die. I don't know. I don't know okay, how to do a tear that. duct. But I know the eyes are one of the first things that really starts to decompose. Your eyes don't hang around very long. So, last, uh, last one for this. What happens to your tongue? Oh, what? Is there a reason you're asking this question? Are you thinking of something? <laughs> The tongue has just always kind of freaked me out because, like, I we, we live in a country where people think that, like, one in four Americans have been uh, abducted by UFOs and that, like, another half the country believes that chocolate milk comes from chocolate cows. So, like, I, I've heard this thing where, like, you know, you could you could cut your tongue and it'll grow back like a lizard's tail. I know that's bullshit. I know that's bullshit. Uh, I, I heard this other thing where, um, you know, in, in a movie, I think it was like Psych or something. They're like, look at look at this guy's tongue. You know that when you die, your tongue flings back to the back of your throat. And it's like, I, I feel like no one understands the tongue. Okay. Uh, this is another true disgusting warning here. We're putting a warning at the beginning of the show now. You, this now, is, now, I've been, now I've been convinced. This is unfiltered everything about this. So I don't know that your tongue is like rolling back. And when you, when you lay down and you just relax your mouth, does your tongue fall to the back of your throat? No, not really. Like, I don't think that's happening. It it stays there. It's only going the one direct. I know people can choke on their tongue. That's a thing. Like people, they're in the middle of seizures and stuff. Like that's a, that's a, am I wrong? I don't know. That's not I don't know. I got, I I got Google that. that You should like put something in their mouth or whatever, but I don't, I don't know that that's true. I would say it's very hard to choke on your own tongue. Even to choke on food and die is super rare. That's very rare. I I feel like that's been exaggerated by Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, how often do you eat food and you don't choke and die on your food all the time and you eat all the time. Okay. But back to your question about the tongue. I had had a moment of eating some dry toast when I was like 16 where something happened and like 
I don't know why, whether I didn't chew or not, but like a corner of it like went to the back of my throat and oh. I actually thought I was going to choke and die. You never forget the time you almost choked no. and died on food. I remember mine. I was sixth grade. It was a Bosco stick in elementary school in the cafeteria. Uh, yep. You always, you always remember your near death food. I, I can, I can feel it as I think about it. I can still feel my throat starting. Yeah, on. exactly. Yeah. That's a really unforgettable one. Okay. So the tongue, I've never noticed anything um, when they first come in, but sometimes they have to cut the tongue out entirely and look for things. So they, your tongue goes much further back than you even realize. I'm always shocked when they pull the tongue out and it's like super long because it goes pretty far back and they'll cut it deep back there to examine it. Um, if something happens, sometimes they just want to see if you've bit your tongue. Like if you, if, if something was happening to you, if you were having a seizure, if you bit your tongue, uh, you can see bite marks across the tongue or injury or whatever else. So that was the first time they pulled a tongue out. I was like, Oh my, it's huge. It's not like a fruit roll up type of deal. No, it's not. I should not compare any of this to food. I should not compare any of this to food or anything. We already have teriyaki chicken. Oh yeah. We jumped that shark. But it does not roll up. It's long and it's pretty flat all the way down. Um, but it how, is, how, how long are we talking? Like, I mean, I'm, it could depend on the person, but I'm saying by the time they cut it out from the back, you're looking at like probably seven inches. You could probably Google it, but I would say it's like seven to eight inches. That, that, is, that is horrifying. And I'm going to stop. Come on. You're better than this. I'm not going to edit that out, folks. Understand, I do this with a dog in the room. Um Excuse me. Okay, la- last question. I I don't wa- I don't like Bravo. I'm I'm not I'm not a Bravo fan. But when I've been forced to watch, I, I might as well pay attention to what's going on. Uh, there there's a show called Botched about people with really screwed up plastic surgeries, and like I I, I genuinely feel bad for those people. But there was this one episode where this porn star came in, and she's getting like her her face like pulled back and stuff, and she. Like she 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 doesn't look human at this point. Let's put it that way. And she's in her like sixties. And I'm like, this has to be some stage Jerry Springer shit. This is not real. She looks at the doctors and she like they're they're going through everything and they're file and they're signing the paperwork like you know oh you might die and all this stuff. So you're taking your life into your own hands. And at one point she's like, when I die, can I take my implants with me? And the doctors look at her like, what do you mean? It's yours. I don't know where that came from, but that was just one of those questions that's like, is that something that people have to talk about? For people that have had like, I'm I'm not just talking like breast implants, but like pacemakers, like anything like that. If if something foreign has been added to the body, I just assume they get to keep it, right? Like they get buried with that, right? So that is very interesting that you just brought the pacemaker thing. As far as implants, I live in a very rural state. I rarely see those on living people. So I have yet to see anything cosmetic like that in somebody deceased. I'll send you a clip of this woman. You will think, oh, my God, how is she still alive? I, I, I mean, I'm sure she gets to keep them. I think I just read something um, mortuary related about like why would they? Why would they take them out? Why would she be so concerned? They spent, she spent so much money and so much and time. You think, think you just you, get to you, keep it. You want to desecrate the body as little as possible. You don't want to have to cut and do things to them. It's disrespectful. You want to do as little as possible. But the pacemaker is a different story. The pacemaker that, is- that is one of those things where I've always been like, I wonder if people, and maybe this is just my sick mind, like after the funeral, you get like a box and they're like, what's this? It's like your grandfather's pacemaker. I thought you'd want to keep a piece of him or something like sweet, weird shit. I, I know, I know a family in Alabama, uh, like their granddad had like, you know, knee surgery on both knees. And for some weird reason, they wanted his kneecaps. Oh, that's weird. Maybe they, uh, Maybe somebody else needed them in the family. Those are expensive. You got to recycle those. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's weird. Pacemaker. Pacemaker. So the pacemaker, uh, if somebody dies and they had a pacemaker, I have seen this a couple times. They take it out and they write down the serial number on it. And I think they mail it either back to the pacemaker people. It goes somewhere. And maybe part of that, I, I still don't know the full reason why, but they do take them out and they don't give them, nobody gets them. But I think it goes <laughs> back to maybe the pacemaker company. It gets mailed, it gets shipped off somewhere. And maybe they're wanting to look at it and just see, like, okay, was this still functioning? Like collecting research. I have even, no idea. even, even if it's not like heart related, right? Wow. Yeah, as far as I've seen, they. 
I, on maybe two or three occasions, they've taken it out and they write down the serial number and I think they mail it somewhere. So somebody has been like, do they reuse it? I don't know. I would bet not. I would say hopefully not. Um, I don't know. Wow. I'm sure they just want to see like, is it, was it still functioning or who knows? It's got to be but, like an insurance thing at that point just to clear them. It could be insurance. I've Yeah, we've had people – sometimes families ask for an autopsy. Maybe one wasn't granted by the county because they're like, they just died. Like they don't need an autopsy, so the county's not going to pay for that. But maybe the family's skeptical or the family wants something. Well, then the family has to pay for it out of pocket. And so I, I think that was one guy. We had a pacemaker guy, and they were like – wanting to know something about the pacemaker to see if they could maybe sue the pacemaker company. Like, you know, different shit happens, but yeah, they, they take those pacemakers out. That is for some weird reason that bothers me more than if they were taking out implants. <laughs> maybe cause it's like life sustaining. Yeah. Like, know. like, ah, uh, the, the pacemaker thing that bothers me. I don't know why. I feel like when something is in you or on you, it's yours. Yeah, like you own it, it's yours. But yeah, yeah they take them out and no, the family's not getting it. I cannot imagine being a family member being like, can I have their pacemaker? <laughs> like what are you going to – like what, what always bothered me is that people will have urns like in public display – and it's like it's yeah. like you see you see the plaque and everything. Like if it, if it was just there, and like let's say years go by and I eventually see it, like that's one thing. But to have it like that, that that's always that that bothers me. I, I don't I don't think I saw I've seen I've seen Abraham Lincoln's death mask. Oh, the old death mask. Yeah, I, I like I've seen that, and that's and that's very different. Victorian. Very and. Like it's weird because you see their eye sockets have like sunk in and stuff. Like it's it's creepy, but that does not give me the same feeling as that. So to keep a pacemaker or something that, oof, even, even, if, a, even if you're sending it back, still. I have a book recommendation for you or for anybody else who's interested in this and kind of what you could do with your body after death or or what could happen. It's a book called Stiff: The Curious Lives of Human <laughs> Cadavers. Yeah, it's it's the lady who wrote it does have a little bit of a sense of humor in it, but each chapter is different and it talks about things like people who were crash test dummies. They donate their body to be a crash test dummy. Like you you don't really think about that there is a person that they are using for those things. Uh, Or even earlier, you mentioned the car thing, the steering wheel thing. Yes. There's a chapter about how these old school cars, which I love, I'm a huge like vintage antique kind of girl. And I'd love to have an antique car, but after I read this book, I was like, they are so dangerous. But she talks about how the steering wheel in those cars was really just a metal rod that went down to the floor. And then the steering wheels on top of the metal rod. And it is pointing right at the heart, <laughs> which is so dangerous. So they're basically a spear that will go right through the heart. So that's, there's a chapter on that. And just kind of the other things you can do with your body. And I definitely recommend that if you're interested in this kind of thing and you're wondering like, well, what is what happens if I donate my body to science? What happens in a cadaver lab? What happens with these things? It's really, really interesting. It puts another perspective on almost makes you feel more positive about death. It's like, I don't just die. And that's the end. Like I could die and help people or do some other things. So it's like, why well, I'm an organ donor. Like I, I've, I've gone back and forth on that mainly because I'm a selfish son of a bitch. And I'm like, no, I want I want everything to go down with me, but it's like one of those things where it's like if I can, if, if I can, like I've always wondered that like if I wanted to donate my body to science afterwards, mainly because I'm also cheap, and I found out that if you do it, most universities will pay for your funeral and burial. So like, oh, so like I've thought of, I've thought thing. about that. I'm like that's a, I will be a cheapskate after death. But uh, we we we've covered so much in this episode. I, I know that you mentioned you have a YouTube channel. Do you want to go ahead and talk, uh, tell us a little bit about that? My my YouTube channel is Adventures of Indiana Jane. You just search Indiana Jane, you'll find it. That's the same with my Instagram. I do a lot of travel stuff. That was kind of my my whole thing before COVID. But you can go to that that YouTube and you will see our episode of Abracadaver. I used to joke, abracadaver was this little term I made up. And I, I think it's so great. I was like, I got to do something with it. Um, and it used to be this joke of like, abracadaver, we make bodies disappear. Like, we'll dispose <laughs> of bodies for the mafia. Like, we'll do something <laughs> crazy. But now it's just like this cute little, um, you know, like my friend Sophie and I would talk about death and tie it into some of these things that we have seen. And so our first episode answers a lot of these like same kind of questions that you were curious about. And you get to meet us and see us and that we're just like these girly people who 
talk about death. It's just such a contrast. It's very funny. So yes, uh, you can find that on my YouTube channel. And maybe we'll start a podcast. It's on my mind. I think we'd have a ton to talk about things we didn't talk about today that just things we see every week we go, Hey, I, I got to see this at an autopsy or, Oh, I smelled this or just, this I, I would, I would subscribe to that in a freaking heartbeat. And you know what? I, it's, we've had a lot of interest in it. A lot of interest. People who saw that first YouTube episode, they're like, what? Like, you've got to keep doing this. You've got to keep going. I have the graphics for it. You know, I like, it's pretty much ready to go. We can make it happen. Awesome. So well, we'll see. Madeline, I'm going to go ahead and actually include the links to everything we just discussed in the show notes. So folks, if you want to go ahead and follow her, check out everything. Hopefully she'll come out with a podcast soon. Maybe, maybe not. We'll, we'll, we'll get to go on that journey together. Uh, I'll go ahead and include everything in the show notes. But uh, no, this has been – thank you for letting me ask so many stupid questions. I know yeah, I sounded like a fifth grader stupid. half the time. These are things that people want to know and they ask me all the time. So you you did a pretty good job summarizing what everybody's thinking but doesn't want to Google. You're exactly right. A hundred percent. We want that in our browser. Absolutely. So no, this, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Yes, thanks for having me. Folks, you know, the, the conversations like this, they, 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 it's absolutely free. And what I'm about to ask, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. Leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, where, wherever you're listening to podcasts. Let people know what you like. Share this with a friend. You know, I, I come to you every Monday and Thursday, and you never know what you're going to get. And this one I certainly didn't uh, prep you for, either in advance for your playlist or emotionally. So take that as you will. As always, go ahead and follow me across social media at Hey Remso. You can go ahead and find me on Parlor at Just Remso, R-E-M-S-O. If you ever see Remso 2 pop up, you have my permission to cyber bully that person. As always, you're listening to On the Run. I'm Remso W. Martinez. Take care. Good night. I'll talk to you later this week. Check out our other shows and more from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.